filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Jason tells us he's actually getting Facebook on his phone after literally years. One of us. One of us. One of us. And Unfortunately, this is true. And I'm I'm still amazed by it. And even even more amazed because it is ostensibly for our benefit. And that he's getting it so that he can do more Facebook live videos for the site. And he will probably use it for no other purpose. That's correct. Uh, I w- <laughs> the first thing I will do when I download the Facebook app is I will seek out a way to turn off all notifications for everything. Um, and if it starts notifying me, I'll even consider like doing the Facebook video and then deleting the app and then re-downloading it before doing the video. If I have to go, I, I recently had to delete a couple apps that were notifying me, even though I had turned off the notifications. I'm talking about you, uh, Univision Deportes app. Uh, which would buzz me every single day, even after I turned the notifications off. And I would leave the thing open to make sure that it was off when I'd been buzzed, and it would still buzz me. Um, and I, I had to do a similar sort of thing for the 442 app. I had to delete it. Because it notifies even after you say, don't notify me? Yes, and there were far too many notifications to begin with. Okay. Yeah, the StatZone app is pretty pretty hardcore about that. Yeah. yeah. If the Facebook app is like that, I will be deleting it and then downloading it again week by week, every week, uh, but only to do uh, Facebook Live videos to talk about DC United with our readers and, you know, stragglers from the Internet who wander in and don't know what the hell is going on. Hopefully Uh, some of those stragglers are listening. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you don't know what the hell is going on, please stick with it uh, for as long as you can. I mean, that might be five more minutes. I don't know. Yeah, we've we've managed to make it a few years just trying to hang on as long as we can. And so far it's, you know, we're still here. <laughs> Martin's we're not. Right. Martin Martin didn't hang on very long. <laughs> no, he's got like 600 kids. It's, it's uh, there's no time for podcasting when you have that many kids. And they live about 500 miles away in the farthest reaches of Maryland. I mean, that's like we're, we're going to make the distance grow with the number of equal, kids. Yes, every yes. kid he just moves further away. Yes. I mean, he he lives in Spain, right? He's on yeah, a barge he was, in the I mean, ocean, uh, headed to Spain. He's not there yes. yet. <laughs> he, he's somewhere down, and he went down through the South Bay. and There will be the southern, with, uh, with three Chesapeake more children, he will get to Spain. That's how it works. So talk to us next week. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, uh, the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team, the Washington Spirit, the Richmond Kickers, and whatever else happens to catch our addled minds on a on a given day. Today, that would be DC United winning a soccer game in Kansas City, despite some pretty terrible circumstances around that game. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Copa America Centenario, at least briefly, uh, which kicks off this Friday night. Uh, so that'll be fun. 
and we will bring in a good friend of ours, Dave Clark from SounderAtHeart.com to preview Seattle's visit to RFK Stadium in DC United this Wednesday night. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, you guys are probably going to be let down because you know I, I bought a tequila based on the fact that there was a luchador on the bottle. Uh, I'm not, not drinking the tequila. I am not drinking a tequila product tonight. Uh, Dude. I'm, I bought a lot uh, at the liquor store in this in this uh, outing. So uh, I have a wide range of things I could have. Um, and tonight I've got uh, Victory's, uh, Victory Brewing's Golden Monkey. It's a uh, Belgian-style triple. Um, and for an American-brewed Belgian-style beer, it's, it's pretty close to the real deal. Um, and it does have a monkey on the bottle. And you're a you're a Belgian beer guy through and through. Yeah, so um, I had heard very good things about it, and I think I have had it in the distant past, and I just never bought like a six pack before. Um, but while I was in the store, I happened to see it, and everything else I was buying was not in a cooler uh, because I was at Total Wine, which has a small selection of cold products and a large selection of warm products or room temperature products. Um, and I wanted some beer when I got home, so, uh, and so I purchased there it was. this. Uh, for for that and now and for now it turns out in the future uh, which is the present. So how does the golden monkey compare to the golden drock, the uh, dragon boat of war? It's not on that level, um, either in flavor or in presentation of the the bottle, which is uh, completely absurd um, in the best way. I don't mean that as criticism at all. I think those bottles are fantastic, um, but it's still it's still really really good. Um, it's still high quality beer and it's a stronger, it's like 9.5%. Uh, so good luck to listeners that hang on to the very end of the show where this might turn into more gibberish than normal. Dave's in for a treat. Ben, what are you drinking tonight? So I got back right before we started recording from a game night at a friend's house. Uh, we played zombie side and cards against humanity, uh, so that was a lot of fun. I had a couple of Yinglings. It was delightful. And so I had to just slap something together. So I went with uh, bourbon and Coke. Okay. Uh, what, kind of I, what? What kind of bourbon? Evan Williams. It's my go-to. Okay. Your rail. I think it is. Uh, my rail bourbon is bullet, and that's what I'm drinking tonight. I know. Well, aren't you fancy? <laughs> I mean, it's what I have in, in a very large bottle. Ooh, la da you guys don't know this. We have this on video. Adam's been drinking with his pinky out the whole time. <laughs> I don't actually know that that was the case. Uh, I have not been paying attention. I just made that up. You should have just gone with it, man. I wasn't going to contradict you. Uh, so I know people who pay close attention, both of you, um, would probably want me to force myself to drink rum again this week. But I did manage to empty yeah, the bottle yeah, yeah. last week. Uh, and so I have no more of that almost empty bottle of rum in, in the house. So I don't have to drink another damn mojito, even though it worked this week. And I was going to, if there was more rum, I was going to make myself do that and put myself through that hell. And um, I was going to do it for all of you, but I didn't have to because we were out of rum. So if DC United loses on Wednesday, every fan of this show should not not buy Adam a bottle of rum because that would reward him, but hector him into buying his own bottle of rum. I will put it on the record that I will not buy my own bottle of rum. If DC United loses this weekend or this week on Wednesday, you guys have until the Copa America break is over. You have 17 days to 
buy me a bottle of rum. If Pack DC United wins, if DC United wins, then then you know the jinx is off. So hopefully DC United wins and this isn't a thing. But if DC United loses and I come into a bottle of rum, which I will not pay for, no matter how much y'all heckle me. If I, I will have a mojito next week, if if those two things happen. Unfortunately, I wish I, I want DC United to win more than I want Adam to have pain from drinking more rum. That makes. Well, I think you... we're all on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'd like to advise our listeners that you can get a bottle of Ron Rico for like eight dollars. I it will. It has to be drinkable. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. No, it has no, to no, be drinkable. I didn't hear that. Ron that, was part, <laughs> that. That was not part of the deal that I just heard. That, that my I am legal advice. The deal, listeners. My legal no advice acceptance. to you. There's no acceptance. This is this is in a contract that's only accepted upon performance. So. I don't think that's I can true. Change I, the terms I, up until so. a bottle of rum is in my possession. I think we had a legal contract. I think we tort really law didn't. is on my side. <laughs> torts. I don't know. This I don't know what a tort torts. is. It's contracts. This is not torts. Even I know that. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I had a professor in law school who who's in who taught the entire class from the perspective that there's no such thing as contract law anymore. It's all torts. Um, uh huh. See. But but that's it. This is obviously contracts, not torts. Uh, let's talk about soccer in a game that was just like last Friday night's loss to Philadelphia, except for being exactly the opposite. DC United won one to nothing uh, at Sporting Kansas City on a late goal from debutante Al Haji Kamara coming in and scoring 33 seconds into his MLS DC United debut. Um, I was pumping my fist a lot when when that goal went in, not just for DC United, but for Kamara, because damn, what a story. Uh, I I think most people listening to this know the background there. He was on the uh, he was on a Swedish team last year that won the league and got into the Champions League in Europe. And he went through a physical early this year and was told he has a congenital heart condition that doctors in Europe do not allow athletes to play through. In the United States, uh, depending on the severity of the condition, uh, they will let you play through it because it's not a, it's uncommon, but not especially rare of a condition and it can be managed. And his is not that severe, according to two of the best cardiologists in the United States. So he is was signed and now has an MLS goal and not just any MLS goal, the fastest debut goal in MLS history, 33 seconds into his debut as a substitute. Uh, Ben, how about that goal, man? I mean, it was just wonderful to watch. It was, I mean, if you really break it down, it's, I mean, it's still a good goal. It's not an amazing goal by any stretch, but just because of the emotions involved, both for Alhaji Kamara and for DC United, they really needed this win. Uh, it was it was a great finish. He uh, was able to be strong in the air and not get nicked o- knocked over by Tim Melia, who I don't know what he was doing <laughs> on that goal. Yeah, uh, but he managed to stay on his feet, show a lot of strength, and then just slot the ball home. And it was a it was it was a wonderful goal to see. Uh, it was great for yeah. It was great for the whole team, and hopefully, it's the first of many more to come. 
Yeah, the celebration after the goal was was pretty awesome. Seeing the joy in his face and in all of his teammates' faces on the field. The the exception to that was Ben Olsen, who I think was thinking, okay, how do we not lose this game now? Like he he's he was just moving on, um, standing looking stoically across the field, kind of thousand yard stare. I don't know what was happening there, but it was maybe it was a maybe fun he had contrast. Maybe he had fist pumped right before that, and then yeah, they just caught totally. him. Re, uh, re-energizing and going back into the game. Yeah, he was he was fully focused on something. That's for sure. Uh, one way this game was just like the Philadelphia lost is that neither team really got anything good going forward. Sporting Kansas City probably had the better of the chances other than the goal. They had a lot more shots and they, they their finishing was terrible. But Jason, what's is this just a function of who DC United is and who the Philadelphia Union and, and Sporting Kansas City are that that both teams were kind of destroy first, create later, or or what what else could explain the the lack of really offensive intent and offensive results in these last two games? Well, I would say with the KC game, the it was a bit more like the trip to Chicago in that the conditions sort of dictated a sloppier game. I think the passing percentages between the two teams were, I think Casey got to 70%. They got over the, uh, that line just barely. Um, DC was at 66%. And, it, you know, it's the kind of thing that happens when you have a terrible rainstorm, uh, during the game, uh, that causes what, uh, a roughly one hour delay. Um, not that the first half, which was played under better conditions, first half wasn't really very good either. Um, United does deserve some credit for, I, I would say, muddying the game a little bit. But at the same time, in the first half, I was actually very nervous because Kansas City was getting to play the tempo that they wanted. The game wasn't yeah. good by any means, but it was being played at a high tempo. Yeah. Um, very A lot of tackles, a lot of uh, 50-50 balls, a lot of things just popping loose. Um, and I, I was of the opinion that United needed to slow the game down to frustrate Kansas City. Um, I guess the good news is that Kansas City really didn't, you know, Adam, you mentioned the finishing, but um, and I've seen a lot of Kansas City fans complain about the finishing in this game. They really didn't create many chances where it was bad finishing is the no, thing. There was really only only one really good chance that was bad finishing and that fell to brad davis who managed to just jedi mind trick bobby boswell into dropping off of him and and got the ball brought it to his left foot from the right side he's playing inverted for kansas city and and shot to the far post and just missed just put it over the bar and he had bill hameen beat like if he gets that on frame yeah it was the kind of thing that when davis has scored goals it's that kind of goal is where he's he's tended to score from um especially in Kansas City's setup where um, I think when that shot happens, he had technically switched out to the left, but he, he unlike Jacob Peterson, he was given a lot of freedom to roam you know, underneath and at that point had actually come underneath Dwyer and was just sort of floating around um, to, to take that shot. So that was a huge <laughs> letoff for DC. But uh, I think he actually dribbled the ball across before putting it wide on the right yeah, side he, and then just he, kind of he, staying he there. Into the play. Yeah, he had yeah. sort of entered the play from that side. I don't know. What what was that? <laughs> Somebody driving uh, close to double the speed limit down my 25-mile-an-hour okay. suburban road. Good good luck. Yep. <laughs> um, but no, uh, 
that was really it for Kansas City. Um, they took a ton of shots, but a lot of them were uh, challenge shots. I, I will say that United gave up, I think it was 10 shots inside the 18, which isn't very good. But they were challenging those shots in the end. There were a lot of contested headers, um, shots where the player was rushed, where he had to aim high to get over somebody. He ends up putting it over the bar. Um, I would like to see that number come down quite a bit. But uh, still, I, I think Kansas City has a lot to be upset with. And I think it was telling that Peter Vermes wasn't talking about luck. He hasn't really been talking about bad luck lately in a while. Um, he's been criticizing his guys for, for about a month now. And this was no, it was no mistake that he had, I mean, he would have been just as critical. I think if they had finished at zero, zero, um, and for them to lose the way that they did, uh, I'm sure is a uh, pretty galling for them. But, um, the Philadelphia game, I thought the union were more of a challenge for United. Um, especially as the game wore on, I think the union kept believing that they were going to find a goal somewhere. Whereas Kansas city, psychologically right now they're in such a bad place that I, I think that after maybe the 70th minute they started to just sort of give up on the idea that they were going to win the game they it just they had that air of a team that felt like they were going to find a way to not win uh despite having 18 shots to I think it was 18 to 6 um yeah but on goal was 3 to 2 yes um they but they just had that air of a team that that felt like they were going to find a way to fail one way or the other because what you know there there's a team culture there where every game that they don't win at home is a failure um they're pretty good at creating an internal pressure on themselves uh as an organization but the that's a double-edged sword because right now what they need is to feel relaxed at home and and they didn't look like a team that felt confident and relaxed they they look like a stressed out team for 90 minutes and um i would have liked to see a better game out of united but at the same time Without Saborio, without Burnbaum, without Niarco, without Rolf, um, I mean, it, it's hard to find that much to complain about. I, I will say though that eighteen shots, uh, eighteen shot attempts is not great, uh, regardless of opponent or de- um, location. It's just uh, it's a number that should come down. But you know, United got the job done. They and Bill Hamid only really had to make the one big save at, at the very end. That was his one big moment where it was like. Oh yeah, we've got Bill Hamid in goal. He can do things that no one else in the league can do. Yep. Mm. Ben, as Jason said, we have Bill Hamid back. Uh, he did make one big save, um, and it was it was almost like a you'll appreciate this metaphor. It was or simile. It was like a cat swatting uh, something away from its face. Uh, exactly. Um, you guys can't see the visual of Ben pretending to be a cat swatting something in front of his face. His eyes lit up so big. You guys. Uh, uh, he made that save, but he also made a couple others that were more routine, but still not, not automatic saves. Uh, nice having him back. Certainly. Even, even if Travis Wara deserves insane props for coming in and, and, you know, I think he got four shutouts in his, in his starts, which is pretty impressive for an undrafted second year player. Yeah, and Travis Ward did a great job, and I look forward to having him on DC United's roster for the next couple of years to come. But this was a great way for Bill Hamid to come back. He didn't have much to do in the first half. Uh, He got to ease back into it, and then he got to show off why he's one of the best goalkeepers uh, that MLS has ever seen in the second half with another great reaction save and 
he didn't have to be Superman's day for the whole game, but he got to get back into it after a long layoff and he's got one more game uh, on Wednesday against the Sounders and then he's got another layoff and then hopefully he'll be good to go down the stretch and to help take DC United back up to the level they've been with him these past couple of years because while Travis Worrell was a step up from Dykstra, he's definitely, I mean, obviously no one else in MLS is Bill Hamid and he can keep United in games that they have no business being in, turn losses into draws, draws into uh, victories and all of that. So I look forward to that stepping up and him using his newly found, I mean, it was last year too, but his good distribution to also help spark some counterattacks as well. But it, yeah, it's wonderful to have yeah. Bill Hamid back for any, I, basically since 2000, the end of 2014, any additional games we get with Bill Hamid are basically just gifts. Yeah, they're gravy. Um, I will say Hamid's distribution in this wasn't what, um, at the well, yeah, same but level, but as before, that, he got that's, hurt, but that's it was still that's something an he needs improvement to work back on, on war, which is at this point the biggest knock on war's game is well, one of the bigger knocks on his game is his distribution, and, that's and it was on Hamid's too. Hamid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, it, it Bill Hamid took like two or three years. Yeah, in, and I still say Bill Hamid's distribution with the ball in his hand versus the ball on the ground is insanely different. His when when the ball's on the ground, he has a lot more trouble than when the ball's in his hand, whether he's throwing it or or punting it. He is much more accurate with the ball in his hand than he is when the ball is rolling on the ground or even sitting on the ground in front of him. Um, but let, let's move a little further up the field. Uh, no, theat- no theatrics when he came off this week, so we're not talking about a non-story again. Uh, but Lucho Acosta was subbed out again after his second consecutive, I would say, subpar performance. Jason, what did you make of of Lucho's uh, game in this one, and how much stock can you take in it, given the conditions and the travel uh, shenanigans that that went into this? It was an ordeal just getting to the game. I think the major thing with this, with him and Espindola, is that they weren't really given very much of the ball. Um, yeah, that's the totally true. the defense and midfield were not able to feed them the ball very much at all, and and I don't think it was them not making themselves available. I would think that Kansas City's pressure was enough that the defense, especially the defense, I think the passing percentages from the defenders were all pretty pretty bad. I think Kemp's wasn't even fifty percent. Yeah. Um, so they got forced to play long a lot, which we know Espindola and Acosta are not built for that game. Um, so most of what they had to do ended up being trying to, to pressure, trying to, to win the ball further up the field. Um, they did have their moments, um, both of them. I thought uh, I was glad to see a spindle and not just hitting shots from wherever he got the ball. Uh, as soon as he faced forward, he would just strike the ball. That didn't happen, which is a good sign. Um, I, I just I find it a little difficult to provide too much judgment on them because they got starved of service uh, for so much of the game. And that might be a thing that happens, um, especially with, uh, with Niarco out, which means that De Leon apparent the, the the look now is that De Leon will be on the wing with <sighs> Jeffrey coming in, um, which we might see changed uh, at a home in a home game just because uh, the incentive is there to go for it. Uh, we'll get into it more in the next segment. But Seattle, for all their flaws this year, they don't give up a ton of goals, um, so you can't just expect to beat them at home just because you take the field against them. You've got to 
have a little more of an attacking bent than that lineup for DC would, would provide. Um, but, you know, Acosta was out there. Um, he was hustling. He was definitely engaged in the game as much as he could be. Um, and I think it's a good sign that, you know, we're coming off of this week where that was the main discussion with him was was his attitude. Um, this is the kind of game where a player with a questionable attitude doesn't really participate after a certain after half an hour or so they're just like look i'm not going to get the ball this sucks i'm I'm just going to wait until i get subbed off basically and he was still going he was still trying to to make things happen even though it became clear that he and a spindle weren't going to see the ball so um i think it's more evidence that the thing last week was just an intense player not wanting to come off rather than a player questioning the coach's uh integrity or what have you um and I think the same can be said for Spindola. He uh, was closer to what we would want. It's not it's not what we would want out of him. It's not what he's capable of. But I think this was a a small step in that direction. In that he was still willing to trust the other guys on the team. Um, in moment, he wasn't just looking to do it himself. It, it wasn't just that the other the guys in the midfield and Acosta were all there to help him score goals. It was that as a group we're trying to score goals. So I'm going to pass you the ball and maybe maybe it'll even be an attempt for you to go on goal rather than me. And that's fine. Um, that's a step towards what a spindle needs. And, and, you know, hopefully we're going to get into a, you know, hopefully on Wednesday we see a spindle move more in that direction, maybe involve himself a little bit more, maybe be a little more of a threat. And then with the break coming up, uh, they'll have two weeks to really work on that partnership because it won't be like, you know, Sabo won't be there to take those reps in practice. It'll be, mm-hmm. You two are the guys, and and I know that the United sent on a media um, schedule this week, and I know they're going to be a, a few days off for everyone involved. The players are, I assume, going to get out of town um, in a lot of cases, but um, when they get back, they'll have that time to work together on being a more dangerous partnership because they can be dangerous because you're still talking about two intelligent, skillful players, and we've seen Espindola partner well with Rolf, which on paper doesn't make any sense as a duo, but we've seen them be a threat as well. So um, hopefully that that extra time will see them become a more consistent threat down the road, because I think the partner for Acosta is still on an open question right now. And, and Al-Haji Kamara is going to get fitter uh, in these weeks. Um, Saborio is going to come back and he's going to not he's right now still the team's leading scorer. So it's not like he's thinking, well, I'm going to go back to the bench now. Um, and, you know, the transfer window comes open pretty soon. And, and if no one is staking a claim for the job right away, United might also look for a striker. So um, there's outside pressure as well as inside pressure on who becomes the partner for Acosta. And I, I'd, I'd like to see Espindola make his best stab at that. And if he if he doesn't win the job, then so be it. At least we know he gave his best. And that's that's uh that's a good sign for United if a player of that quality is playing at his best and still isn't getting on the field. That's that means that something awesome is happening elsewhere. So back in the defense, uh, Kofi Opari was named to this week's MLSsoccer.com Team of the Week uh, after coming in and deputizing for Steve Birnbaum, who's off with the U.S. national team. So big props to Kofi there. Um, yeah, he came in. We got a shutout. It, that's literally the, the the stat line on the team of the week. It, normally, it'll be like so many clearances, so many interceptions. For him, it's no goals conceded, uh, which I, I I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But he's he's in the first eleven for it's the a, team of the week. So 
Honestly, I think that was a we got to recognize somebody for getting a shutout uh, as a defender in that game. Um, yeah. they, it, it's more of a group achievement award, and they just sort of picked somebody. Um, I think with Kemp's passing percentage we touched on, we couldn't really pick him. But you could have picked Franklin, and maybe the fact that Boswell lost Davis on that one shot is the the tiebreaker there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Hamid didn't make enough saves for you to be able to say, all right, we'll just give it to their goalkeeper because uh, he made a bunch of saves. That didn't happen. So, you know, it really is sort of picking a name out of a, a group, which happens with Team of the Weeks all the time because it's difficult to find the time to watch 20 hours of soccer uh, after, you know, two days after the games have been completed. It's, it's difficult, uh, it turns out. And even when Jason Anderson. <laughs> even if you're Jason Anderson. And even if you do watch all the games sometimes there's still pressure to say this team had a really good defensive game or a really good game in whatever respect you have to have a representative from that team in the first 11 yeah. uh, and there, there's pressure to say that like even in the comments uh for this team of the week it, it was like there needs to be someone from the rapids in this first 11 in this team of the week even if none of them had a superlative individual performance right. the team performance seems to demand that one of them be there which whether you agree with that argument or not it's still that pressure is there Either way, Kofi Opari in the team of the week. Hooray, Kofi Opari. Woo! Let's turn our attention now to Jurgen Klinsmann's United States men's national team. And I know what you're thinking. Do we have to? That is what you're thinking. That is what everyone's thinking. Ben is here to be the id of this show. Uh, to be the vo- or Either that or the voice of the listeners. I don't know. However you want to think of that. Uh, but Copa America Centenario kicks off Friday night. The USA plays at 9.30 on Fox Sports 1. Uh, they will take on Columbia in the South Bay out in California. And I'm feeling strange about about this tournament because two weeks ago I was incredibly down. I was pretty well convinced we were not going to win a game, let alone survive the group. And... Now we're coming off a couple of friendlies that were both wins and three straight halves of of playing a reasonable system under Jurgen Klinsmann, which is three ha- two halves longer than that's ever happened that I can remember, uh, in, at least in since the World Cup. Uh, the United States has switched to a four three three with Michael Bradley as a number six. Uh, hold like locking down defensive midfielder and then a couple of box to box guys in front of him. Jones, Bedoya, Nagby have all played in that role. And it's, it's weird. I'm feeling not dread, not terrible about the U S men's national team for the first time in a long time. And it's weird. And I want to know Ben, how long will this last? Will it end as soon as the lineup comes out for that Columbia game on Friday? Because that's what I'm worried about at this point. If it lasts longer than that, it's gravy. But I'm pretty sure it's going to end as soon as Jurgen Klinsmann announces his lineup. I think for some reason Jurgen has this tick, this practice of doing ridiculous things. And then two games before the major tournament, he did this before the uh, World Cup 2, he finally switches to something reasonable but he hasn't given those players any time to play together so they don't play up to their full potential. I think he's going to ha- I think he's going to do something reasonable with this lineup. Kyle Beckerman is past it at the done. international level. He's done. So he can't be especially against Colombia, he can't be 
a starting defensive midfielder for this team. Uh, so it's either Michael Bradley or Jermaine Jones, and you want the discipline of Michael Bradley there rather than the Jermaine Jonesing of Jermaine Jones. Uh, and then other than that, if he's playing, the other big thing he is going to do at that he probably shouldn't is start Clint Dempsey as a number nine. But I think we're just going to have to live with that. The, if that is the least reasonable thing he does, then it will be a freaking miracle. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he needs to stop doing weird things with his fullbacks. But this is from the guy who said that anybody can play left back. So yeah. I'm not surprised that he's going to have Michael Orozco as a right back and – I don't know. He'll probably put himself in as left back. <laughs> That's Michael Orozco, national team starter. Uh, at this yeah. Point. yeah. Um, which yeah, is it'll be, Michael, it'll be Michael Orozco and Edgar Castillo, and we're all going to weep. I don't know. I think Yedlin will, will be on the field as a fullback, and Fabian Johnson probably yeah. also, which is not his best position. Probably. I'd much rather him be up on the wing right. in place of... Uh, Say Jassy Zardes, who did score twice against Bolivia, you know, mighty Bolivia. But yeah, I mean, uh, but that's, this kind of all goes to the misuse of players that has become part of the whole reason we'd be so negative. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a perfectly good left back that we don't have to play Fabian Johnson at left back. Um, his name is Jorge Villafania. He has been inexplicably ignored. Um, he is playing at one of the best clubs in Mexico. He starts week in and week out, whereas Edgar Castillo has often struggled uh, to get those starts and has been bad at the national team level for a while. Um, we have a lot of evidence that he's not good enough for this level of play. Um, I mean, so, even, like Eric Lehigh would be better than Edgar Castillo. I don't, I don't see Lehigh on a regular basis because he's in the championship and somehow that is like borderline impossible to watch uh, anywhere unless you are in the stadium. Um, so that's that's a different problem. Um, but I, I assume that he probably is better than Castillo, but if you, if you're just stuck with the roster as is, if you assume that this is the best 23, which it clearly is not, um, then Fabian Johnson does have to play left back because we have some people that can play left midfield better, better than our other available players can play left back. Um, the loss of Johnson moving back is, is it's there. It's, it's a real loss, but it's not as severe as playing him further forward and then just hoping for the best with the, the available left backs, which is a nightmare. Um, this all could be dealt with by calling in via Fania. It's a very straightforward and easy way to fix the problem, but somehow he gets ignored. Um, and we, and we know that you're going to watch his league at MX. Yes. Uh, because he calls in a bunch of other guys that are playing there. Though he watches he, we know that he says he watches Liga MX and has a well, list actually, of players who are there that he will randomly select some. That's true. He, pro- he probably right. stopped watching Liga MX over a year ago. Um, yeah. But I, I think the main thing that worries me uh, of, out of all this is I don't, I don't think that Beckerman is done at the international level. I think you can use him against teams that aren't playing a high-tempo game. Um, Colombia is going to play a high tempo game. I don't think you can start him against Colombia. Um, Costa Rica, maybe you can play him, maybe you can't. Um, but, it, but in any case, uh, what worries me is that we're going to see Bradley playing with Jones and then Beckerman starts against Colombia, not because it's going to be because Klinsman doesn't look at the other team and understand what, what that game needs. It'll be like, 
well, we need our most conservative lineup for this game because Columbia is really good. So let's just do this and that. And that'll be that'll be what works. And you can't get away with that lack of mobility in that role. Um, and the Columbia game is huge in this group. I mean, it's just like a World Cup where you have to get off to at least a not bad start um, because otherwise you face two almost must wins from there if you lose yep. the opener. Um, Columbia is the best team in the group. Uh, I don't think anyone anywhere would doubt that. So they have to find a way to get through that game uh, and not concede, and I think that requires – Having giving Columbia some reason to to be cautious, and that will come from playing Bradley in the in the number six role. Um, personally, I think Darlington Nagby has done more than enough to start. Uh, I feel like Klinsman will err on the side of a veteran and choose Bedoya instead. And Bedoya has been fine um, playing as a. People are concerned, like, oh, he can't play central midfield, but that was. The, the reason people think that is because he was asked to play the deepest lying midfield role against Brazil, and he's not being – in this formation, he's not being asked to play that role at all. It's a different role. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he plays – has played for the national team, the way he plays for uh, FC Nantes in, in France, it's compatible with the role he would be playing in this 4-3-3 where there's somebody else with the number six job. It's not his job. Um, I don't know why he was ever played there uh, against the, against Brazil. It did not make any sense whatsoever, but that is the Jurgen Klinsmann era. Really, that that game is kind of the Klinsmann era in a nutshell. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya, attacking midfielder, is asked to play as a number six because who knows? Uh, but, no, I think Nagby should start against Colombia. I think you put your best team on the field, and I think he is one of our best players at this point. Um I think having players that can take care of the ball and threaten Colombia is the best way to keep them from overwhelming the defense. Um, I don't it, think it, it would be happen though. It'd be too much to ask for to have Nagby and Bedoya on the field, right? I don't know that I would go. I, I don't know that I would go that route because as much as we've criticized Jones in the past, the fact is he's playing fantastic. Yeah, he's yeah. in really good form right um, now, so and, and, I can't actually fault his inclusion. Yeah, and, and it's on a team where there are two other midfielders in that setup. In, in the, the rapid setup, they play with two very defensive midfielders and let Jermaine Jones do whatever the hell he wants. And that's the way he's had his most success uh, is when he's been given the ability to do whatever the hell he wants. And so if you have Bradley and Nagby who are smart enough to they're not going to do it the same way that the Rapids do, where it's just two very defensive players underneath him. Um, but they're smart, perceptive players. They're going to see Jermaine Jones running off and doing something crazy, and they say, okay, clearly I have to hold here. We have to have two guys ready to go here because Jermaine Jones has run 40 yards out of position due to, to take a chance. Um, I think they're smart enough to do that. I think you know Bedoya is probably up to that job as well, but um, personally I would like to see something where uh, – if you're going to play three in the midfield like that, you can play Dempsey on the left and have him with some freedom to cheat in, especially against weaker teams. He can cheat inside a little bit. Fabian Johnson comes forward. You've got some a channel to overlap into, and that also means Bobby Wood plays through the middle, which is where he belongs. Um, we'll see if that's what Klinsman does or if he keeps Dempsey in the middle and asks Bobby Wood to stand out on the wing and somehow find goal-scoring opportunities as a center forward from that position, which against bad teams – it could happen. That's what happened with Zardes. It's the same situation where Zardes is better as a number nine and he gets stuck out on the wing and has to make those extra diagonal runs. He has to run those 20, 30 yards extra every single time the ball comes forward. Um, but, uh, you know, 
tactics that make sense is a luxury we will have to wait until twenty the, the fall of twenty eighteen. We get to have the we have the chance. I shouldn't say we will get the chance to yeah, have a we, sensible. We have the opportunity to have a sensible national team. It remains to be seen how U.S. soccer will bungle this and ruin everything. That said, in the short term, we are all rooting for the USA to confound our expectations and actually do something at this tournament. Friday night, 930, Fox Sports 1 for that one. We will be right back with Dave Clark to preview DC United's visit from the Seattle Sounders. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben. Um... You wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Seattle Sounders come into RFK Stadium Wednesday night on a three-game losing streak that includes giving up a lead uh, in a 2-1 loss at New England on Saturday. They sit ninth in the Western Conference, 13 points from 12 games, which actually is exactly where D.C. United was before the Sporting Kansas City game. Uh, To help us preview this matchup, we have Dave Clark, good friend of ours from SounderAtHeart.com. Dave, welcome back to the show. Glad I could be on this week. Thanks for having me. Of course. You know our tradition here. What are you drinking? I'm going to be having a 60-minute uh, IPA for my dogfish head. I would, uh, I would go 90, but um, currently the Sounders don't go 90, so I figured the 60 would be a better fit. <laughs> hey, we're big fans of dogfish head uh, out here. Good uh, East Coast, Mid-Atlantic beer, so we appreciate that. So the first thing I want to ask you about is, is Seattle's attack, which over the last couple of years has been pretty high flying this year though 11 goals over 12 games major departure major major fall from from last year what's going on and and please tell me it's more than just obafemi martins went to china uh, i mean that's a huge part of it losing an mvp candidate uh, who is nearly the caliber of robbie Keane. Yeah. um you know the, robbie Keane's clearly the best dp in in, in mls history um, Obafemi Martins belongs in kind of the next tier conversation. Losing him is a big deal. Um, 
none of us kind of none of us really expected it to fall off like it has. And part of that is because the dynamic between Clint Dempsey and Obafemi Martins isn't there. Clint is a shell of his former self. Um, and in this 4-3-3 that the Sounders are running, Clint's been both a, both the central attacking mid, the left wing, and the center forward. None of those are great spots for him. Uh, so he is uh, he's only gotten two goals. One of them was on a free kick, so that's not good. Um, tied for him with two goals and second on the team is Chad Marshall. Um, when your center back uh, has the potential to be a leading scorer on the team, things are never good. I think you guys dealt with that um, but a few years ago, but own goal beat him out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this the Sounders' attack is, is basically the same as what, what you guys had that year. It's, it's, it's bad. It's... Uh, Possibly Jordan Morris, and maybe if Clint Dempsey or Andre Savanchitz do something magical on a set piece. But outside of that, there's nothing. They have Aaron Kovar is the only name I haven't mentioned yet with a goal, and that was uh, against New England. It was his only goal of his now uh, third season in MLS play. Okay. At the other at the other end of the field, you guys have been managing to keep the goals out pretty well. Uh, I think 15 goals over 12 games, which which isn't a bad record by any means. Brad Evans seems to have completed the transition to center back. How do you how do you rate the defense at this point? I'd, I'd rate the defense good to great. Um, three of those pen, three of those penalties should not. Uh, three of the goals against are on penalties that shouldn't be penalties um, against New England. One of those was a. Uh, a supposed handball because uh, Eric Freeberg got a clearance to his nuts um, in his own 18, and that was considered a handball and earned New England a goal on a penalty. Um, I I don't know what the intent. Even if he did, even if it did touch his hand, his hands were both at his chest. And why would you deliberately handle the ball inside your own 18 when it is being passed to you by your own teammate? So that was one of the penalties. There was the one against Vancouver where Jovan Jones was running stride for stride with the Vancouver player. The Vancouver player tripped, and that was considered a penalty. There was no contact. There was no attempt at contact. Um, and then the, the, the Chad Marshall one with Blas Perez might have been a penalty, but it often isn't. And then the Chad Marshall with um, Ryan Hollinsworth in Dallas was very typical clutching and grabbing on a set piece. Um, Chad had had his shirt when Hollinsworth went down. That I mean, that can be a penalty, but it's not often. So, of those four P- PKs, maybe three of you know, maybe one of them gets called in a normal circumstance. So, that, uh, for me, I'm excited about the defense. The, this is a defense that should give up a goal a game. Uh, it might not get shutouts because they do allow another the other team to shoot a lot from distance. So, it's not going to get a lot of shutouts, but it's not going to give up two plus goals. Uh, Dave, I, I guess I'm going to go uh, back to the, the offensive struggles. Um, you mentioned Andreas Evenschitz. Um, with Dempsey, call up to the national team. He'll, I assume, uh, since the Sounders are hanging out on the East Coast, which you, you actually told me um, a couple days ago, um, I assume he's going to be the attacking midfielder. Um, is that really the best place for him in this, in, in a, or in any formation, really? Or is he just sort of making do in a formation that was set up uh, maybe before um, the idea that Martins was gone was really in place. 
Evenshitz has been the central attacking midfielder before, but more often in a diamond rather than in the in the four three three. He is the most creative player that the Sounders have at this time, so he's kind of shoehorned there because they don't have anybody better than him to do it, particularly if Dempsey's not there. Uh, on the left wing, he's okay, but he is. If he's on the left wing, he's basically going to hug the line and cross the ball in and pray. The problem is that your other forwards are going to be Jordan Morris and one of Aaron Kovar and Hercules Gomez. Those aren't guys that win the ball in the air, so blindly crossing it into the 18 is going to be a, a disaster. So I, I would prefer even Schitz as the attacking mid. It's not a good place for him, but it's the best place considering the other personnel. Um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the front line because that was where I was going to go next anyway. Um, Morris has played, once he got that first goal, um, he's, he's been fairly effective on a team that isn't creating that many chances. Um, but as you've, you've already indicated a couple different times, he's kind of, he's not really going to uh, score a variety of goals. He's kind of, at this point in his very young career, um, he's kind of a guy that needs to get in behind, um, either over the top or on through balls. Um, is there, are you seeing signs of him developing beyond that right now, or is that still sort of a, um, something for, for down the road with him? Yeah, I would say, uh, the, the most effective way to get Jordan in on goal is the through ball. Then it's going to be over the top. Seattle's been poor at that, unfortunately. Um, they're better at the through ball angle. Uh, the other thing that he can do a little bit of, and I want to see him do more of, because it's what he was able to do in college and the academy, and it's, it should be able to work, is he can take a touch or two to create space in the 18 uh, if, when he gets those touches in that area to just kind of get the shot off. And if we see a bit more of that, he scored one goal that way this year so far. If we see a bit more of that, uh, he's going to be a more complete player. He's a guy that... Um, Shouldn't use his head unless he has to. It's kind of more like a more kind of like Clint is when when he's playing. He's a guy that you know can use his head, but um, that shouldn't be the intent of the the possession sequence is to to get it onto Jordan's head. Yeah, it, you want to get it onto his right foot, um, preferably uh, running through. Uh, there are some other circumstances where he can score as well, but never, almost never with the head. Um, I, I guess my my last question is um, with even even with the Sounders staying on the East Coast, there's got to be a, uh, at least some chance of uh, uh, potential rotation just due to the fact that it's only uh, four days between games and and the turf in New England, which we we encounter a couple times a year, is is pretty much like playing on uh, uh, rocks or um, or a concrete surface. Um, if you if Seattle's going to rotate anyone in, who would you, as a Sounders fan, who would you want to see getting a game uh, this Wednesday? Yeah, probably the biggest rotation that you're going to see um, by what City will do is going to be with the center backs. Um, Zach Scott had a bad game. Rookie Tony Alfaro had a good game when he came on because Brad Evans might have been concussed. And Chad Marshall traveled but did not appear in the 18 against New England. Um He's coming back from an injury. So there's a potential for Evans and Marshall to start. Um, I kind of hope, my hope is that it's Tony Alfaro and, and Chad Marshall, because um, if you fly Chad Marshall out to, to Boston and then D.C., he better be able to play. 
because <laughs> uh, he's historically not a good player. That he, he doesn't travel long distances well, and so if you've traveled him just for the sake of hopefully he gets better, that's a mistake. Um, I'm probably counting on Brad Evans being out. I actually wrote at Sounder at Heart that I want them to just go young. Um, and uh, I probably made one error in there. They probably shouldn't start Osvaldo Alonso. We know what we have. But basically, uh, whether or not Seattle wins this game has nothing to do with how they're going to do in the season. Um, Seattle needs to take the two weeks to figure out what their talent level is. They did manage last year to reboot in the middle of the season after a poor stretch. They have to do that now. Um, thankfully, the Copa America break is coming up for them. They have to figure out whether or not the young kids can play. Um, it was good to see Alfaro get that time. Uh, they might try Jovan Jones in a, uh, in a more attacking position, whether it's, uh, it's probably going to be on the left wing. I'd like to see him central because I, I hate his crosses. But, um, so you, you're probably going to see Jovan Jones play up top more with Dylan Remick as the left back. Mm-hmm. So um, my two questions are about uh, some of those veteran players. My first one is about Ozzy Alonso. Uh, he's been a key player for the Sounders for years now, but what is his role right now, and are you ready to see him get transitioned out this year, or is he still a key player for the team? He's currently a, a DP with the squad. They tried to get rid of him in this off season, and there wasn't really a market for him. Uh, they can easily make him a TAM player. The DP is... Uh, fancy MLS accounting right now. The good thing is this year he is as close to the best 11 version of Ozzy Alonso we've seen since that year he won the uh, the best 11 player. What's interesting is when Christian Roldan starts with him, Roldan plays that more destroyer number six spot where Ozzy is more than number eight as, a, uh, as the box-to-box guy. It's a, a more effective use of him. Uh, he's a great passer. It's not something that he had in his early days. You know, 09 to 11, he was purely a destroyer. We've seen him develop some interesting passing skills, and I like it when he can get forward more often. He isn't his uh, his rare shots. They're almost always from distance. Are no longer um, field goal attempts in the NFL. He's uh, he's keeping them low, which means they might be able to score. Uh, so I like him as that more forward player. I think that he is a quality TAM level player. They're going to move on in a year or two just because, I, I mean, let's be honest, this is year eight for Ozzy. Um, year nine as a professional. Uh, for, so it, eventually you're going to have to move on. He's going to price himself out, or he'll have to uh, have to uh, eventually find a, uh, a place where he can have a part-time role. And then my other question is about a player that most MLS fans love to love, even though it's been years since he's been effective in this league, but Hercules Gomez got a start uh, last week. Does, also, similar question, does he have anything left in the tank, or is he basically filling up a roster spot at this point? The good news for Sounders fans is Hercules Gomez is essentially Toronto's problem. Seattle is not really paying him. Um, if you consider him essentially a veteran at a, basically a minimum salary or slightly above that, um, there's plenty of value in what he does. Unfortunately, Seattle needs to start him right now because uh, both Clint Dempsey and Hato Valdez are away for the Copa America. Um, Olix Anderson, who is another uh, of Seattle's forwards, a uh, young kid from uh, from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, um, he is injured, so you're down three of the forwards right then. Uh, so 
you're down to essentially uh, Herc uh, has to start, and uh, that's uh, that's no longer any good. Herc, uh, Herc can do a good 20, 25-minute shift. Uh, his presence in the locker room and in the community has been wonderful, but um, his, with his contract up at the end of June, I wouldn't be surprised if he's no longer a player here. Dave, how hot is Siggy Schmidt's seat right now? There, I, I think that I think uh, I don't think that the club is going to fire him in middle of the season until it's clear they can't make the playoffs. Um, firing him right now would only be useful if you thought the talent on the team was good enough to make the playoffs and that the only reason they weren't performing was because Siggy had lost the locker room. And I don't feel like they've they've lost the locker room yet. Um, and so at this point, you've, you've got to ride him until you can't. Uh, that's going to upset a lot of Sounders fans. Uh, amongst the fan base, his seat's pretty hot. But I mean, there have been Sounders fans calling for Siggy's head since year two or three. Uh, uh, well, actually, year one. When you guys came to the league. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I may have underestimated that. Uh, so, among the fan base, I imagine his seat's always been, at least certain segments of the fan base, always been pretty hot. There were people who wanted him fired after he won the Supporters' Shield and the Open Cup in the same year. So, um, unfortunately, that does damage to those that want Siggy out um, are kind of saddled with the, the group of people who think that Siggy should never have been hired because Brian Schmetzer was a good USL coach or the people that think Siggy should never have been hired because he came from Columbus rather than Seattle um, or the people who think that an Open Cup and a Supporters' Shield and um, a you know, a not failure in the playoffs is worth getting fired over. Uh, you know, there he's had his struggles. He he does really poorly in uh, um, MLS Cup playoffs. That two leg version he does bad in. He gets he had the number one scoring team in, in the league when they won the Supporter Shield. They ran a high tempo. They were very high tempo. They did a lot of stuff where, yeah, they gave up a ton of goals, but still Chad Marshall won the defensive player of the year um, because it was basically a tempo thing, um, which, I mean, we see in the NBA with a team like Golden State. You know, tempo can mask a lot of quality defense. So he did that and then got to the playoffs and slowed everything down. Um, and he's done that every year where he plays ultra-conservative in the MLS playoffs, and yet in the, uh, the two-leg CCL series that he's done better in, even going up against Mexican sides, he doesn't do that. It's a it's a problem that he has, and unfortunately, it's probably why he's going to lose in the playoffs again this year, and I think that if he loses in the playoffs again this year, he's out. So, put yourself across from Siggy Schmidt right now. If you were going up against the Sounders, how would you game plan against them? Where would you focus? Um, I would play off of Jordan Morris, with a deep line rather than a high line. I would apply midfield pressure on Ivan Schitz and Eric Freeberg, which would basically mean that Seattle has no creative players left to get Morris the ball. Um, I would go down easily in the box because... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a strength of United. We've only got one, and it's actually an ex-sounder who has made our only penalty this year, despite, I think we're one for three. Ooh. 
Yeah, Lamar Nagel is our only successful penalty taker this season. We've been bad at that. Yeah, but it, even if you draw him, it changes the game. Um, I, I think that, you know, whether it's Chad Marshall or Zach Scott or Brad Evans or Tony Alfaro, um, they're going to be clutchy and grabby. They're typical, you know, they're good MLS center backs, but clutchy and grabby is part of that. And um, unfortunately, the the way that this year has gone, I um, I expect a penalty in every game. I know there hasn't been a penalty in every game, but we're at the point where um, they're getting called for, for reasons that we, we can't come up with. So I would go down, um, and that'll get you an opportunity. And it, it, it's sad to say, but, you know, that'll that'll work. I think coming in at angles, because uh, neither Jovan Jones or Tyrone Mears are good uh, defensive fullbacks, you come in at those angles, you should have something. Um, and on, honestly, feed Lamar, because Lamar will want vengeance. He was not excited about the trade. Um, yes, it meant that he was able to start, um, and he was able to kind of rehash his career, but I think if uh, if the Sounders and Lamar Nagel knew that Obafemi Martins wasn't going to be here, Lamar Nagel would be that left wing right now here. Um, they probably got rid of him a little bit too early, and uh, I, I expect Lamar to have a, a strong game against Seattle. Alright, Dave, that's that's all we've got for you tonight. Thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh, yeah. That, I'm the founder of SounderAtHeart.com, so you can see a lot of my writing there. You can also, uh, you know, we tweeted at SounderAtHeart or Facebook slash SounderAtHeart. If you want just me, which is uh, a lot more than than pure soccer, it's at better than, B-D-I-R-T-H-A-N. And I will, uh, once again, warn any listeners that if you think you're following that account for soccer, you will get surprising stuff that has nothing to do with soccer. All right, everyone, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though... Tell a friend on Wednesday night before the game. Just tell a friend about the show, and we'd really appreciate it. Dave, thanks again for coming on the show. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Adios, Jason.